Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Sunday, April 2nd. Passover is rapidly coming upon us and occurs at sundown April 5th. I hope that each one of you will be keeping Passover in a home with your loved ones and fellow believers. This is a very special feast to observe, as it is all about covenant with Yeshua our Messiah. Passover is the festival of our freedom. The freedom is from being bondage to sin and to the world system, and experiencing the new liberty and freedom in following Yeshua and His Torah. There are three important principles of the Egyptian redemption. They are The Egyptian redemption is both historic and prophetic. The events that happen to our patriarchs are prophecies of what will happen to their descendants to future generations. And finally, the Egyptian redemption teaches us about Yeshua's redemption for the nation and for us personally. The Hebrew word for Passover is Pesach. It means to hover over or pass over. The spiritual meaning is this. It represents passing over from death and sin, Egypt, to eternal life and salvation. It represents the blood of Yeshua to hover over our lives and to give us divine protection from the enemy. Passover defines and marks the first month on the biblical calendar. Even as Passover is the beginning of months, repenting of our sins, which is leaving Egypt, and putting the blood of Yeshua on our inner heart is the first step in our salvation in Messiah. Yeshua, the Lamb of God, was inspected by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, by Pilate, and by Herod. They were not able to find any blemish. Yeshua, the perfect, pure, and innocent Lamb of God, then died on the tree, and He took away the sins of the world and took them upon Himself. He is our Passover Lamb, as it is written in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Bread Hadashah. Today we begin the Torah portion, Pesach, and it means Passover. Exodus 33, 12-23 
One day Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, Take these people up to the promised land. But you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways, so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, If you don't personally go with us, then don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, Then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, Look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind. But my face will not be seen. Luke 9:51 to 10:12 As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Yeshua resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Yeshua because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Yeshua, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Yeshua turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. As they were walking along, someone said to Yeshua, I will follow you wherever you go. But Yeshua replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, Come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Yeshua told him, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Yeshua told him, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. The Lord now chose seventy-two other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor any extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, May God's peace be on this house. 
If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality, because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them, The kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, We wipe even the dust of your town from our feet, to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. Psalm 74, 1-23 O God, why have you rejected us so long? Why is your anger so intense against the sheep of your own pasture? Remember that we are the people you chose long ago the tribe you redeemed as your own special possession. And remember Jerusalem, your home here on earth. Walk through the awful ruins of the city. See how the enemy has destroyed your sanctuary. There your enemies shouted their victorious battle cries. There they set up their battle standards. They swung their axes like woodcutters in a forest. With axes and picks they smashed the carved paneling. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the place that bears your name. Then they thought, let's destroy everything. So they burned down all the places where God was worshipped. We no longer see your miraculous signs. All the prophets are gone, and no one can tell us when it will end. How long, O God, will you allow our enemies to insult you? Will you let them dishonor your name forever? Why do you hold back your strong right hand? Unleash your powerful fist and destroy them. You, O God, are my king from ages past, bringing salvation to the earth. You split the sea by your strength and smashed the heads of sea monsters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan and let the desert animals eat him. You caused the springs and streams to gush forth, and you dried up rivers that never run dry. Both day and night belong to you. You made the starlight and the sun. You set the boundaries of the earth, and you made both summer and winter. See how these enemies insult you, Lord. A foolish nation has dishonored your name. Don't let these wild beasts destroy your turtle doves. Don't forget your suffering people forever. Remember your covenant promises, for the land is full of darkness and violence. Don't let the downtrodden be humiliated again. Instead, let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how these fools insult you all day long. Don't overlook what your enemies have said or their growing uproar. Proverbs 12:11 A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. I'd like to speak to you today from our reading from Luke chapters 9 and 10, and then I want to jump into 
Psalm 74. So in Luke, let's look at chapter 9, verse 59 to 62, and I want to unpack that. Yeshua said to another person, Come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Yeshua told him, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Yeshua told him, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. This is the cost of true discipleship. If the Lord has put a call upon your life, and he's given you an assignment, and perhaps it's something about the kingdom of God, something about reaching out with the gospel, perhaps being a missionary, a teacher, um, a speaker, then he's saying, basically, you, you put everything else behind you and you keep your eyes focused on the Lord. Now, many are called, but few are chosen. What does that really mean? I think that the call is probably upon a lot of people's lives, but many people do not respond to the call. They are entangled. They have a career that they're pursuing. They have children to raise. They have many roots that keeps them rooted down. But even Yeshua said, the Son of Man, that the foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. And when he said to that person, come, follow me, the man said, first let me return home and bury my father. Yeshua said, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. So in other words, this man was entangled with his family. And what Yeshua is implying is that his fam- that this man's family, they were spiritually dead. They were not born again. They were not alive to God through the Spirit. And he was saying, let them deal with all that. You come and follow me. So in other words, it's about priority. So if we have family and they are not born again, they are spiritually dead, and God has called you to do something, you need to be obedient to the call and faithful to the call. In the next instance, the, he called someone else. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go say goodbye to my family. And Yeshua said, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit the kingdom of God. This is a hard saying. I'm thinking especially of those maybe who've been called to the mission field, who've been called to a faraway land, to a foreign land, and they're far away from their friends and family. This is a hard thing to walk it out. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. So if you think about it, when a a farmer either whether he's driving a tractor or he's old-fashioned and he's got a horse pulling a plow that's cut, that's cutting down into the ground and he's riding that horse. He wants to plow straight rows. 
and so he keeps his eyes straight ahead, and he guides the horse along to plow a straight row. But if this farmer looks back, constantly looking over his shoulder, he's not going to plow a straight row. It's going to be quite crooked. The same principle here applies. When you put your hand to the plow, because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. When you put your hand to the plow, what he's saying is, don't look back over your shoulder. Keep your eyes on the ball. Look straight ahead. Look at what's in front of you. Yeshua, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He was looking ahead, looking forward. What was he looking at? He was looking at you and me. He saw us in the future, and he knew that he had to endure that cross so that you and I could know freedom, could know eternal life, could know grace, mercy, and forgiveness. So if the Lord puts a call upon your life, you don't look back. You put your hand to the plow. You don't take time to go and bury somebody or go say goodbye. It's, it's You're all in, and that's the cost of discipleship. All right, now I want to look at Psalm 74. And in many ways, this psalm is capturing the essence and the soul and the, the heart of the Jewish people when they went through the temple destruction. So it's capturing something that happened historically, but it's also very much future prophetic for the day that we live in right now. So let me unpack that for you. In Psalm 74, let's just look at verses 1 to 4. O God, why have you rejected us so long? Why is your anger so intense against the sheep of your own pasture? Remember that we are the people you chose long ago, the tribe you redeemed as your own special possession. And remember Jerusalem, your home here on earth. Walk through the awful ruins of the city and see how the enemy has destroyed your sanctuary. So if you can just envision in your mind, picture in your mind, 70 A.D., the Romans, under the command of General Titus, have come in and have punched right through the outer wall and the inner wall of Jerusalem. And all of the homes have been burned. The temple has been burned and the stones overturned. And the temple is no more. It's just ruins. And it was that way for centuries. And not long after that, the Romans put a decree in place that Jews were evicted from the city of Jerusalem and they could not return on pain of death. And to stamp out its very nature and existence, they changed the name of Jerusalem to Palestina. And so this is the heart cry of the Jewish people back then. Yet, this is Psalm 74. This was written in the time of David before any of this ever happened. So it really was when the, 
psalm was written, it was future prophetic looking forward to what was going to happen in 70 AD. Now we look back on it as a historical event, but when the psalm was written, it was future prophetic. He goes on to say, There your enemies shouted their victorious battle cries, they set up their battle standards, they swung their axes like woodcutters in a forest, and they smashed the carved paneling, and they burned your sanctuary to the ground. That's a reference to the temple. So again, this psalm is future prophetic. It's quite amazing. And it goes on to say in verse 9, We no longer see your miraculous signs. All the prophets are gone, and no one can tell us when it will end. How long, O God, will you allow our enemies to insult you? Will you let them dishonor your name forever? So now I want to jump forward into the psalm because it's almost like a jump, a leap forward in time. And it speaks, I believe, to the end of day's final generation, the generation that lives right when Yeshua returns for the second time. And when, as I read these verses, I want you to be thinking about the nature and the condition of your country, wherever you are, whether it's Asia, Africa, Europe, America, wherever you happen to be, be thinking about the condition of your nation. Now, I'm going to reflect for just a moment about the United States. The condition of that nation is a mess. Two large banks have failed. We have an open invasion on the southern and the northern border. Millions and millions of people from all over the world, not just from Latin America, are freely coming across the border. And the economy is a wreck. We have high inflation. We have high expenses for food, for gas, for rent, for mortgages. This nation is a mess. It's a total mess. And let me speak about Israel a little bit. This Israel, tiny little Israel, is probably in the greatest danger she has ever been in as a nation in her entire lifetime since May of 1948. Iran is very close to becoming a nuclear-armed nation. They are just about on the threshold of being a nuclear-armed nation, and they've made no bones about it. They intend to wipe Israel off the map. And so it's been kind of a proxy war with Iran equipping and training and arming Syria and Hezbollah and Hamas, and then those agents attack Israel. And Israel fights back. But it really is coming to a head. And the nation from within is in great disarray, great conflict. There's great dissension going on right now because of the debate regarding judicial reform. And of course, the U.S. and other nations have been funneling money to an ultra-liberal entity within Israel to help pay for all of the major protests that have been happening in Tel Aviv and Haifa and Jerusalem to try to topple the government, to try to topple the right-leaning conservative uh, coalition that has been cobbled together by Netanyahu. 
So it really is interference coming from outside forces. So the nation is really wobbling and there's much division within the nation. And that's not good because then Israel's enemies from the outside look at their inner weakness and think, boy, this is a good time to strike. There's weakness going on. They're divided from within. So there's a lot going on in the nations right now. And so now with that backdrop, let me read these concluding verses because it sounds like it's almost a prayer that we can pray. It's speaking to uh, the final end of days generation, the remnant of believers who are living in the final end of days. Verse 20, remember your covenant promises for the land is full of darkness and violence. By the way, major cities in America, such as Chicago, New York, L.A., the crime rate and murder rate is the highest it's ever been. It's off the charts. And, you know, ever since the whole defund the police movement, what that's done, it's demoralized the police departments. Many police officers have retired, have quit, have gone on to other careers. And so violence and murder in the big cities is just off the charts. Verse 21, don't let the downtrodden be humiliated again. Instead, let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how these fools insult you all day long. Don't overlook what your enemies have said or their growing uproar. So this can be our cry and our prayer even today, is that we cry out to the Lord and we say, Abba, remember the covenant promises that you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants, their spiritual descendants. And we are their descendants by faith. We are grafted into the olive tree of Israel, Romans 11, by faith. We are. If you're not Jewish, then we are the wild branches. If you are Jewish, you're a natural branch. And the non-Jewish people, who are the remnant believers who are grafted in, they are like naturalized citizens to the commonwealth of Israel. They are the wild branches. So we cry out to the Lord and say, Father, remember the covenant promise that you made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to their descendants, that this land, the promised land, that you would give it to your people as an inheritance for all eternity. It is your land. And your people need to be living in your land, following your Torah and following your Messiah, Yeshua. Because the land, the people, and the Torah are all one. They're all one. Father, we love you this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises, and we stand on them. We thank you that you are a covenant-keeping God. We pray that you will remember us throughout the nations where we are. And soon, Yeshua, soon, come and ingather your people and bring them home to the land of Israel. We thank you, we bless you, and we praise you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Yevarekakai
Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>